Tea Pop, Season 5, Episode 8. Hello and welcome to Tea Pop, the mini podcast for busy teachers. My name is Laura and joining me today to talk about inquiry-based learning is Michelle Vaughan. Michelle Wogan is an educator and materials writer specialising in primary English language teaching. With a career spanning more than 20 years, she's passionate about changing the way we teach young learners and runs her own teacher development courses for primary ELT teachers. She's a regular conference speaker and she's also the president of Tefl Dissur, an association for ELT teachers in her local area. Thank you so much for your time, Michelle, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the differences between project and inquiry-based learning, its benefits, as well as how we can apply this approach to our ESL classes. As with most TESOL-POP episodes, today's topic can be applied to a range of teaching settings. So why not continue the conversation by sharing today's episode with your teaching community? So to start with our first question, Michelle, what is inquiry-based learning and how does it differ from project-based learning? It's an approach where learners investigate a real world topic in order to find answers to a question. So you normally start with an essential question about the topic. So this is a question that's usually fairly general and it does not have a single answer. So it's not Googleable. Then students will need to do a series of activities, including finding information, um, using their own knowledge as well, um, to find answers or evidence uh, that will help them um, find answers to that question. And then they'll draw conclusions from this and then they'll share it with the class in some way. You mentioned the difference between inquiry and project-based learning. Well, first of all, I want to mention the similarities because I think there are a lot of similarities. Uh, they're both learner-centered approaches. They're both active learning approaches. They both in include collaboration, learner autonomy, the learners are part of that decision-making process. They both involve real-life learning, and all of these things are central principles for me as a young learner teacher. But the main difference is that inquiry-based learning focuses on the process of discovery. So it's centred around that natural curiosity that children have, and their learning can go in different directions, depending on what they want to know and also on what they learn during that process. Project-based learning places a stronger focus on the outcome. So there's often a tangible product or result at the end of the project. Usually this is decided at the beginning, but with inquiry-based learning, students could do this. They could think about what they want to do at the beginning, or they can make these decisions during the inquiry as they find out new information. So I see inquiry-based learning as more of a framework for learning. It contains a, a series of stages that students go through, but the inquiry itself, the investigation, could go in different directions. So there's not necessarily a fixed end to it. When you were describing inquiry-based learning, I very much thought back to the primary school classroom and not necessarily the ELT classroom. Could you give a bit of insight on how this can fit into the ELT context, particularly when we've got target language and um, obviously a, a language need there within that context? Yeah, I mean, obviously the language is really important to us as language teachers. And um, I think it's really important to remember that during the inquiry, students are going to be learning 
language that is relevant to that inquiry and the process of that inquiry. Our job as language teachers is to make sure that students have the language they need to complete each stage of the inquiry. And in a minute, I'm going to talk about some examples, which I think will make this a bit clearer. But of course, we have these target language objectives, as you said, that we need to teach. So the challenge is to provide opportunities for specific target language use and to create a need for that target language. A genuine communication gap. Exactly. So you mentioned that you have some examples up your sleeve of what inquiry-based learning can look like. Would you mind sharing a few? So let's think about how we might plan and set up an inquiry. As I explained at the beginning, we start normally with a question, with an essential question. So an example of this could be, what makes the perfect home? Now, there are lots of different angles we could take here, depending on the age and the level of the students. Um, This early stage is where you discover what the students already know. Um, So we need to break that question down into smaller areas or sub-questions that allow students to access their prior knowledge in terms of both language and content. Some sub-questions for this, uh, this essential question could be things like, what rooms are in a house? Uh, what is in your bedroom? Where can people live? So kind of different types of homes. What do we need in a home? Uh, what makes you happy at home? Or even things like what makes a home safe? You'll notice that the questions are kind of at different levels, both linguistically and cognitively. This allows for differentiation, which is one of the reasons why I believe that this type of approach is more inclusive than a traditional approach, because you could have different groups of students investigating different questions depending on their level and interest of course as well. So we can use the design of the questions to manufacture a need for specific vocabulary or structures. So say you need to cover bedroom furniture as it's in your syllabus so bed, desk, chair, wardrobe, poster, picture, things like that. A good start would be having students explore the question, what's in my bedroom? Yeah, so you're kind of forcing that language in there by asking a question that requires that language. Obviously, the same can happen with structures. So you might you might want to teach there is and there are, uh, prepositions of place. These are typical structures that come up with that topic. So it's quite easy to link these in with the questions that you're asking students to work on. After that, once they've got their questions, is the research stage. So that's where students go off and find information to help them answer their questions. So you could provide this in planned activities by showing learners a video. So with this question here, a video of people sharing their homes, for example. Or you could read a story with them. Or you could provide more autonomy by giving learners a selection of resources to choose from. And obviously, if you've got younger learners, you might want to provide them with worksheets or some kind of um, graphic organiser to help guide them through the process. Depending on how structured you want the inquiry to be, um, you can have the inquiry take place as a whole class activity or in groups where each group is assigned a different question, for example, 
or you could have students choose uh, the question they want to, to research. Um, and then there are other decisions as well that the students can make. For example, how are they going to present the information at the end? Um, so you might decide, I want all of the students to make a brochure about the perfect home. Or you could say, well, you know, maybe you could uh, make a poster or make a video or make a model of a perfect home. You know, let students choose. One thing that I did want to mention here is that it's important to make sure that we're not giving this stage too much protagonism because we need to be giving students opportunities to show their learning throughout the whole inquiry and not just at the end. And again, that comes back to what you mentioned earlier about the difference between project-based learning and inquiry-based learning. That kind of highlights that point again here. Yes. So one thing that I always um, have my students do is to document their learning throughout. So this can be done in different ways. You could have a poster on the wall. Uh, Students could have a folder with different where they keep all of the the materials and the um, mind maps and things like that, their notes. And also, I haven't really mentioned this, but reflection is an important part of inquiry-based learning. So having students reflect on what they're doing at different stages throughout the inquiry too, it's really important. I'm thinking about some of our teachers who may be like, oh yeah, I could do that. Maybe here and there for some odd lessons, I can give that a go. What would you recommend for those teachers who may have quite a set syllabus to follow, a scheme of work or a course book that they are expected to follow, how could they potentially get inquiry-based learning into those classes? Well, you can actually do inquiry-based learning with your course book. All you kind of really need to do is to look at your course book unit first and see what content it contains. Um, Look at the vocabulary and structures in the unit overview or the contents page and start thinking about the topic and what kind of questions you could extract from there. Also look at the materials, so like the the readings, the stories, the listening scripts, the videos, and see whether there are any answers to any possible questions in those materials. So you could actually use the course book materials as the resources or part of the resources. One way of initiating uh, a whole class inquiry is by choosing that essential question that we mentioned before and using that to introduce your unit in your course book. So it could be just turning the unit title into a question. Um, So before students even open their books at the beginning of a unit, write that question on the board and elicit some basic ideas and responses. You're using this stage again to activate prior knowledge, to generate vocabulary, and also to generate that need for vocabulary that we mentioned earlier. So we're finding out what students know in terms of language and knowledge and also what they don't know, because this is actually really important because there's no point having students do an inquiry about something they already know. With an example from a course book that I contributed to, there was a unit topic called Help Our Oceans. So it's really easy to turn that into a question. How can we help our oceans? Uh, so this question is very wide and the investigation could go in all sorts of different ways. But I'd probably start with an image that illustrates that problem. So a polluted beach, for example. And then I'd have students work in groups to come up with a list of animals in any language they know and then use the course book 
to teach those words in English. So in this case, the course book has a double page spread of a, a large image with the animals. And I'd use that image to teach that vocabulary. And then we'd start to think about what problems these animals might have, uh, what might be dangerous to them. So that's how an inquiry begins. It's moving from what students know to what questions they have and then investigating to find the answers to those questions. You've covered inquiry-based learning, its benefits and how we can apply it to ELT context and given some wonderful examples of what that can look like in practice. A final thing to consider is how we can gain buy-in from stakeholders, whether it's parents or fellow staff or principals who may be accustomed to other ways of doing things or maybe following course books in a certain way. Do you have any suggestions on how we can gain buy-in from stakeholders to try out inquiry-based learning? Uh, First of all, it's inclusive. And many things that we typically do in the classroom are not necessarily suitable for all of our learners. So we need to realise that the students in our classes have diverse needs and a flexible approach like inquiry-based learning where students have more control over their learning, where they can make choices that work for them is much more inclusive. And they're also learning a variety of useful future skills collaboration, critical thinking, problem solving, digital literacy, if they're doing part of their investigation online, amongst others. Michelle, this has been really helpful planning and recording this episode with you. I've learned so much through this conversation with you, and I'm sure the listeners have as well. So thank you so much. My pleasure. You can find Michelle on all the usual social media platforms where she shares ideas and content around inclusion and learner-centered approaches. You can find out more about her upcoming teacher development courses and resources on her website, michellevorgan.com. As always, I'm going to hyperlink that on the website so you can find those links easily. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer or you have a topic, like Michelle did, to pitch for the, an episode, then you can contact us via Instagram, Facebook, or the website tsopop.com. Finally, you can support the work we do at TSOPOP by leaving a rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast, sharing TSOPOP content with your teaching community, or even sponsoring our coffee break at ko-fi.com. TSOPOP. <laughs> <laughs>